Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Have you ever had one of those days where nothing seems to go your way? You try and you try to make things go your way or to like work things out, but you just can't. I recently had a day like that. I went to bed with what I think was food poisoning and obviously I didn't sleep very well. I woke up the next morning determined to have a great day. I woke up early enough to curl my hair and actually apply a decent amount of makeup. And if you know me, you know that I would pick to sleep over anything, food, water, literally anything. So getting up earlier than normal isn't something that I typically do. That morning I got up, got dressed, and tried talking myself out of the nausea I was feeling. I picked my favorite sweater and pants to wear for the day. I even wore my favorite shoes. I walked out the door with plenty of time to get to work, or so I thought. I started my car and got halfway through my subdivision before I realized my tire was basically flat. I keep a pump in my car, so like I just pulled over to pump the tire up. Well, the pump wouldn't work. I knew that I couldn't drive all the way to the gas station with a tire that low, so I turned around, called my husband, and told him we were switching cars because at this point, I was closer to being late. I hopped in my husband's car and turned it on only to find the gas light was on with 10 miles to empty. Well, I live more than 10 miles away from my job. As I'm fighting stomach pains, I roll into the gas station closest to my house. I swipe the card only to receive the dreaded see attendant message. Normally, I drive away when that message appears because I hate going into the gas stations where I live, but I had to go to work, so I walked in. I swung by the bathroom because, you know, food poisoning, then headed to the cashier. She ran my card, and I went outside, only to see that it didn't go through again. I headed back in, and she said that the building briefly lost power and that she needed to run my card again. By that point, I was thinking my card's either being hacked or that this is going to be the weirdest start ever to a morning. She runs my card again to tell me that it was denied. No one likes hearing that your card was denied for insufficient funds, especially when you know you have funds. I called my husband who checked our account to find out our mortgage was drawn out six days early, causing us to overdraft. I got in the car and before pulling out onto the main road, had to pull over to vomit. I called my boss and told her I couldn't come in that day. I headed home and literally crashed from exhaustion. It felt like everything in the world was against me going to work that day. It was like the universe was telling me that I couldn't leave my town. I felt defeated and exhausted. Imagine a scenario like mine, but instead, it's not making it to work on time that's on the line. It's your kids. When you try desperately to save your kids and fail only to have people question if your kids were even in your house, how do you justify their deaths or find out what happened to your babies? This is the story of the Sauter children. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the case will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, and to follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Because as these families know, conversation helps to keep their missing family member in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, 
and listen to what's brewing this week. Before we start today's episode, I do want to take just a second to remind all of our listeners that in just three short weeks, Woo-hoo. Coffee and Cases will officially launch Patreon. I know, I'm so excited. I know, me too. And for you guys, if you sometimes crave closure to your cases, if you're curious about like how Allison and I view popular cases or the theories that we may have, or if you just need a really good laugh, then our Patreon is just what you guys need. Um, we'll yes. be posting, Allison, did we say three to four mini episodes yep, each month? three to four. And those will be around 15 minutes to 20 minutes in length over a range of topics. I'm currently writing one about um, the scariest day of my life. Oh! I know. It's good. (laughs) And once we get to 100 patrons, we'll be releasing a full-length episode each month. And I can tell you guys that Allison has picked out a crazy one. Oh, listen, I was like, we got to go, we got to start big. So <laughs> that's what I went for. So Maggie, we have gotten so many messages recently from our listeners who have been like, um, so excited for Patreon, Yay! T- listening for when Patreon starts December 16th. I am pumped. And I am so glad that you guys are too. And you guys know that I love Christmas. And I can think of no better Christmas gift for yourself or for your true crime loving friend than a membership to our Patreon. Again, like Allison said, that will be launched on the 16th. So like it's right in time to give yourself a little Christmas gift or give your friend a little Christmas gift. So you have something to entertain you while you're driving the three hours to your family's house or flying across country or whatever you're doing this holiday season. Yes. And at only $5 a month for the first 100 subscribers, it's a price you can't beat. For that $5, you will get immediate access to three mini episodes with two more that will be released in those final two weeks of December. Plus, you will get a shout out on the show this level will become $8 a month after the first 100 who sign up. So make sure that you are marking your calendars to be one of the first. So Christmas savings at its best. So like Allison mentioned, once we reach that 100 patrons, we'll release our first full-length episode into the mix. And after that, each month will include a minimum minimum of one full episode and three mini episodes. Yes. So, and then of course, if you sign up for a higher tier, you will also receive a card or two from us. We are card writers. So probably two, a discount on merchandise and on our super sleuth level, our eternal love. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why we laugh when we say that because we love everybody and everything. So, but Never fear, because nothing is going to change here. Maggie and I will still be here every week on your favorite podcasting app with our cases as normal, trying to spread the word about lesser known cases to help these families as much as we possibly can. And with that said, Maggie, are you ready? I am ready. And I I promise you guys, um, Allison and sleuth hounds that I did not plan to nor did I mean to cover two cases of missing children in a row it was a complete accident as you guys know I cannot remember yesterday and I swear to you literally forgot that I covered the Beaumont children for my last case (laughs) until I was putting this like in the folder in our google drive (laughs) I know Maggie texted me sleuth hounds and she was like um I'm doing another children's case. And I was like, I think our sleuth hounds will be fine with that. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh, oopsies. <laughs> but unlike the Beaumont children where we like know they're missing, the same can't be said for the children in our case today. Yeah, I was intrigued by your intro. Yeah, and like we may be wondering at this point, how could we not like definitively know if not just one child but five are missing or dead yeah that doesn't make any sense so i'm hoping you'll clarify no i won't oh (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no. <laughs> this case is really weird. Like, um, when you search it, it's always on, like, if you just search, like, strange cases or whatever, yeah. it comes up in the same list as, like, Diet Love Pass, um, the Yuba County 5 that we oh, covered. Oh, yeah. So, it's, like, it's it's different. So, I'm anxious okay. for you to hear the story today That's and to hear your It's super intriguing. Yeah. yeah. We can all agree that the past few holidays have been different with COVID. For the first time in my life, I spent both an Easter and a Thanksgiving away from my family. Christmas was different around the globe as family adjusted to life with COVID, um, but no Christmas can compare to the Christmas the Sauter family had in 1945. Mm. So George Sauter was originally born in Italy in 1895, he immigrated to the United States 13 years later with his older brother. Okay. Um, What I thought was weird was that I read his older brother went back home as soon as both he and George cleared customs at Ellis Island, which I thought was weird. Mm -hmm. So maybe he was just like accompanying him to the U.S. to make sure he got here safely? Uh, but for the rest of his life, George, like, would not really talk about why they left their homeland. Okay. Eventually, George found work with a railroad company in Pennsylvania and then moved to West Virginia for a more stable job. And then, according to an article, The Children Who Went Up in Smoke, after a few more years, he actually started his own trucking business. So, impressive. Like, mm-hmm. the American dream. Yeah. At first, he was hauling, like, fill dirt to construction sites and then later um, started hauling hauling coal because we're in West Virginia and that right. is the coal country. Yes. Yeah. So, we know also that his wife, Jeannie, was also an Italian immigrant that had mm-hmm. moved to West Virginia. So they met like at the store her family owned and then they got married. And apparently um, Fayetteville has a really large population of Italian immigrants, which I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. So they built a two-story like timber frame house just two miles out of town. And they both wanted a very large family. And in 1923, the first of their 10 children were born. Which I feel like was fairly common back then. Oh, yeah. My mom is the youngest of 12. Oh, yeah. So, like, My I, grandmother I, has several siblings. So, yeah. So, again, according to that, um, the children who went up in smoke article, George's business pro- like prospered. And he became a really well-respected middle-class family um, in that town. Okay. But George had really strong opinions about many subjects. Mm. and was not shy about expressing them and in his community it would sometimes like almost alienate people and his family Mm. like in particularly in particular he had really strong opposition to the Italian dictator Mussolini Mm. and it led to some very heated arguments with other members of that immigrant community it's kind of like that phrase have you ever heard it you attract more flies with honey than you do vinegar Yeah. yeah yeah so sometimes when you are very like adamant and loud about your opinions yeah it drives people away But despite ruffling some feathers, the Sauter family was, for the most part, well-liked in town and well-respected. They finally um, gave birth to their last child in 1943 um, to Sylvia. And this family, like I said, reminds me so much of my mom's family. So she is the youngest of 12. So her older siblings are obviously a lot older than her. Mm -hmm. Like, in fact, my mom's nephew is only like, she's only 18 days older than her nephew. So like my grandma and her daughter-in-law were pregnant at the same time. Wow. Which to me is like (laughs) crazy. Crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And my grandma was only like, she was like 40. So this was like late, a late in life yeah. baby, but still. Yeah. 
So I kind of have a feeling for the big family. And by the time Sylvia was born, George and Jeannie's second oldest son, Joe, had left to serve in the military during World War II. So this is mm-hmm. like right when America is entering World War II. Mm-hmm. In the Encyclopedia of Unsolved Crime, it says, quote, The following year, Mussolini was deposed and executed. However, George's criticism of the late dictator had left some hard feelings, end quote. So that's kind of where we're at in the Sauter family life. Okay. Our case today begins on Christmas Eve. So not too far from now. I know. Already. Yeah, I already have like, we just put our outside lights up like a week ago, but inside's almost all the way done. I have one more tree to put up. I've already put up two. How many trees total do you have? Well, I have two full-sized ones and then I have like a small one in my kitchen. So I still have to put the big one up downstairs. I'm a one treer. Well, we usually are one treer, but when we moved to this house, because we have that like living space downstairs, we mm-hmm. made a tree like special for like Anthony's grandma's ornaments and then ornaments for my grandparents. Oh, so it's like a special tree down there. I like that. I'm curious though, how many people are one treers versus multi treers? Oh. I can tell you the older I get, the more crazy my Christmas decorations get. So I would be curious to know if I'm alone. Are you a Maggie or an Allison? Are you a winter year or multiple? Yeah, we played that game before. (laughs) Yeah. Let's keep Um, it going. Yeah. On that Christmas Eve night, nine out of the ten children were dreaming of sugar plum fairies and Santa (laughs) coming down the chimney because, um, you know, one brother was still away. And I'm sure that mom and dad were like, imagining the smiles on their kids faces as they were opening gifts that morning dad was probably wondering what the heck did i get my kids for christmas because right. <laughs> <laughs> mom bought everything yeah because mom bought all of it no <laughs> one imagined though the terror that was about to strike for this family as the family slept a fire started in their house mm, do we know how will we find out how we find out a possi- two possibilities of how. Okay. So like I said, this story has some weird twists and turns. So I want to go back just a little um, to like Christmas Eve day. Okay. So with the excitement of like gifts, the promise of Santa coming, Martha, who is 12, daughter Jeannie, who is eight, Betty, who is five, had begged to stay up like past their normal bedtime Um, and reluctantly mom agreed and at 10 p.m mom told them that they could stay up just a little later um, because the two oldest boys that were at home were still awake so we had um, 14 year old Maurice and nine-year-old Lewis so they were like done putting the cows up they had fed the chickens so you know like we're winding down Mm -hmm. George the one oldest son, John, and then George Jr., who was 16, like were already passed out from the exhaustion of work that day. But those five were still awake. Okay. So she, mom, like takes Sylvia upstairs and they all go to sleep. So the oddities started around midnight, which is strange, but. Um, around 12.30 a.m., so we're like early Christmas morning, mm-hmm. um, Jeannie is woken to a phone call, like the telephone's ringing. So she goes out into the hall to answer the phone. And mm-hmm. on the other end, which is straight, well, well, I'll wait, I'll wait. Okay. On the other end, she heard a woman's voice that she'd never heard before. And then she heard like laughter, some strange clicking sounds in the background, like almost like people were like clinking glasses together or something was tapping on glass. Uh... So she told the caller like she had the wrong number and like started to hang up the phone, but not before hearing this woman break out in what she would later recall as quote unquote weird laughter. Okay, I'm thoroughly creeped. Well, she just, like, puts it from her mind. She hangs up and goes back to bed. Um, She did notice that the lights were still on downstairs and the curtains weren't drawn. So, two things that her kids normally would have done if they Mm -hmm. had stayed up later than their parents. Mm -hmm. Um, She sees, like, Marion's on the 
like asleep on the couch. So she just assumes the mom that all the other kids have gone back up to like that. They all sleep in the attic, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. So she closed the curtains, turned out the lights and went back to bed. So she only physically sees one. Yeah. Okay. Which is sort of where like some of the issue comes in. Okay. But I mean, I get her assumption. I mean, if you see right. one, you assume everybody else is there. And, like, you're not going to go, like, I wouldn't think for your, like, you know, teen teenage children go upstairs to make sure they're all there. Right. Like, you're exactly. just going to assume that they are. Right. Well, she wasn't asleep very long because at 1 o'clock, so 30 minutes later, she was awoken again by the sound of what she described as an object hitting the house's roof. Like it was like a loud bang and then like a rolling sound. So almost like something hit it and is rolling on down. Yeah. Like if you had like, I I pictured it as like if maybe a walnut tree is over your house and like. Oh, yeah. A walnut hits and falls. We had a, like crab, a crab apple, apple. tree. Yeah. yeah. And it would do that all the time at our Frankfurt yep. house. That's Thank the first God, thing I thought of. Oh, yep. I hated those things. <laughs> now I've run over them every day on my way to work. That <laughs> and walnuts are all over that road. Oh, yeah. So, like, I'm sure, I'll, like, I don't picture myself as, like, a little kid and, like, I'm dead asleep and I hear a thud on my roof and I'm like, <gasps> it's Santa. Yeah. It's the reindeer. Yeah. Go back yeah. to sleep. It's Santa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm sure everybody, if they heard that, just, like, rolled back over and went to sleep. Um, Jeannie stays up for just a second to listen to see if she hears anything else. You know, it's strange that the noise had even occurred. But after a few minutes and she doesn't hear anything else, she just naturally goes back to sleep. Right. Sadly, though, she would awake again shortly after being, you know, woken up by that loud noise to the smell of smoke. In fact, I read that she was only asleep about 30 minutes before she woke up to that smell. She got out of the bed and found that the room that her husband George used for his office was on fire. Like smoke, flames, the whole works. It's on fire. Mm. All around like the telephone line and the fuse box. So she wakes her husband up and he goes and like wakes up all the kids, like the older sons, and they start evacuating the house. See, now I'm wondering what really did hit the roof. Yeah, and that's one of the theories of mm -hmm. the fire mm -hmm. so both parents and four of their children mary and sylvia john and george jr escaped the house and like you know i'm like this at school like if we go outside i'm like okay i'm taking 20 children outside and then when oh, we yeah. line up, i'm like okay i have 20 children in yeah. the line so like i'm sure they were like okay one two three four like we're missing people right. who are we missing well, I told you my elementary school burned down, didn't I, when I was in second grade? I don't know if you did or not. Were you I there? Yes, we were in school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God. I, I, this is why I said traumatic things happened to me. You I don't know. Had, why, yeah. 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 Well, that, that can be a, yeah. a Patreon story. I know. Yeah. So <laughs> Find I out about I the time this. Allison's school burnt down. Yes. During the school day. Yeah. So I lied though. I said second grade. It was third grade. I don't know why second grade. How dare you? I know. <laughs> but I was in third grade. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. So we have mom and dad. We have 
four kids, but remember there's nine of them, nine children total. So we're yeah, missing so five. We're the, yeah. You know, from here, Allison, the story gets progressively more just like kind of strange. Okay. So the family who had made it safely out, they're like frantically yelling from the outside. Like, you guys need to come out, wake up, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they get no response back. And Allison, the kids that were left inside were the five that stayed up. I, th I think the majority of them were the five that stayed up past their normal bedtime. Hmm. Which is strange. And according to the Smithsonian Magazine, George had tried to save them. Like, he broke a, win a window to reenter the house. In the process, sliced, like, a huge cut on his arm that he did not even notice because he was had so much adrenaline pumping to try to rescue his kids. Um, the fire and smoke was so thick that when he looked in the house, he could see nothing. So he made a sweep, like a pass through all the downstairs rooms, living room, dining room, kitchen, the office, um, the like the husband and wife's bedroom, no one's there. He took, you know, stock of what he knew, right? The two-year-old Sylvia, yeah. whose crib was in their bedroom, was safe outside. 17-year-old right. Marion and his other two sons, 23-year-old John, 16-year-old George Jr., had all fled the upstairs bedroom that they shared. I mean, mm -hmm. like, literally singeing the hair on the tops of their heads on the way out. Wow. So this fire is burning hot. Yes. And he figured that the other five, Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Jeannie, and Betty, had still had to be in the house, right? there. He's right. like, I know they're cowering in their bedrooms, and their bedrooms are split by a hallway that's separated by the staircase. Like, I know that's where they're at, but he can't get to them because that staircase is literally engulfed in flames. Oh, my goodness. So thinking only of ways to save his kids, right? He's like, yeah. I have to do something. I have to do anything. The house phone would not work. Like, could not get any dial tone operator on the house phone. So one of the other children ran to the neighbor's house, right, to phone the fire mm -hmm. department. But at the neighbor's house, could not get the operator to pick up. Like, what are you doing in this small town at, at 1 2 o'clock? Yeah, yeah. Or 2 at this point. Yeah. That you cannot pick up the phone. So a neighbor who saw the house like a blaze made a call from a nearby tavern. But again, no response from the operator. Hmm. Like, what are you doing? The Smithsonian article said that by this point, like, everyone was exasperated. And finally, the neighbor drove into town and tracked down Fire Chief Morris, who initiated, like, a literal version of the game telephone. So, like, he called one firefighter who called another, who phoned another, who phoned another, until finally, like, someone made contact with someone who was able to drive the fire truck. Like, that oh. was the whole issue. Oh, my. So, precious time wasted. Yeah. Yes. Like, you just wait to see what time they, you just wait. You just wait. Oh, my. So, in one article I read, it said that George climbed barefoot to break the glass in this window. Like, I picture him scaling the house because both yeah. his ladders were missing from their usual spot. So, he and his sons search everywhere around their house. The ladders are not where they typically keep them. So, that's out the window for rescue. The water barrel that they keep that could have been used to help extinguish some of the fire was frozen solid because oh no, it's, it's christmas, christmas day george was like you know what i'll pull one of my trucks over and i'll just climb on the top of that sucker and get into the attic yeah. window well he tries to start both trucks that he literally used in his business the day before and neither of them would start okay so this is i'm wondering if this is just horrific luck or if this is sabotage right because i feel like okay so my story obviously is bad luck right like right. just 
things did not go my way. This, I feel like, is almost too coincidental. Yeah. Oh, you can't find your ladders. Your trucks yeah. don't start. Mm-hmm. The operator isn't picking up. Mm-hmm. So the next 45 minutes, the Sauter family literally watches as their house and potentially their children oh, burn to a pile God. of ash. And the fire department, which was only two and a half miles away, did not arrive on the scene until 8 a.m. Oh, my gosh. At 8 a.m. That... Like, ro- it you doesn't make walk. sense. You could yeah. walk there and be there. Your fire, their hose probably stretched from the fire station oh to the house. Oh, my goodness. And, like... We love the fire department. Rodney oh, was yeah. a firefighter. We love yeah. them. Wow. But 8 a.m.? Yeah. That's, that's a little ridiculous. I can't defend that. And, you know, by this point, they have stood and watched literally their home burn down mm. with five of their children presumably inside. I don't, I don't even know how you, I don't, I don't know what you do. Well, I read, um, like, in one article that the mother and father were so upset that they could not even attend the funeral services for the children. Oh, and, I would, yeah, I wouldn't be able yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how you, how you handle losing five kids. Mm-mm. When the firefighters finally arrived, one of whom was the brother of the mom, so the kid's oh. uncle... They could really do little more than, like, shift through ashes, hoping to find the remains of the missing five. Wow. Yeah. Because what are you going to do at this point? Burned to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all, they, the family home did have a basement. So, like, all of these ashes are just, like, in the family basement. Mm. By 10 a.m., Fire Chief Morris, um, who, by the way, like I said, could not drive the fire truck, thus only furthering the delay of someone from the fire department getting to their house. Like, I feel like that should be a requirement. Yeah. Like, I don't, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. I think you, you should have to know how to do that. Yeah. yeah. But he told the family that they found nothing, no bones, nothing to even indicate that the children had been in the house. Well, they have to be somewhere, buddy. Right. Um, according to one account I read, they did find like a few bone fragments and what they thought were like internal organs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read they chose not to tell the family. Well, I don't, like, now I've, I've read that, like, only in one place, so. I don't really think you get to make that choice. Yeah, like, I don't think that's something you you could be like, Meh. that's like if you found a quarter and you're like, I think I'll keep this quarter and not tell anybody. It's like, I found your loved one's remains. Uh, maybe I'll just keep that a secret. Yeah. I'm just not going to tell you. So, nevertheless, Chief Morris believed that the five children, unaccounted for, had to have died in the fire. Like, he suggested that the fire had been hot enough to burn their bodies completely, bones and all. So, the final ruling by, um, like, the coroner was that the home caught fire due to faulty wiring and the children were essentially cremated. The fire got so hot. Hmm. Which I debunk here in a little bit. I was going to say, I'm texting Rodney right now. Yeah. I'll just wait for you to do it. I was like... Can a house fire burn so hot (laughs) that there are no remains? (laughs) According to the true crime files, George and Jeannie obviously are not satisfied with this explanation, right? Like, no. Yeah. And they wanted an in-depth investigation to thoroughly explain how, among other things, faulty wiring could have caused a fire to burn so hot that it cremated their children. And like, how were their Christmas lights working and like all this stuff literally 30 minutes prior to this everything was working fine like it just doesn't make sense and they suspected that there was something more to be discovered and they were like we want answers yeah because didn't she wake up and she saw like the curtains weren't drawn and the lights were on yep hmm she really did hmm So, you know, as usual with the cases that we cover, more evidence did come in, but more questions were generated. Absolutely. Yeah. We always have questions. Every time. So first is the obvious, right? The fact that we have no skeletal remains. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Allison, the slaughterhouse was only on fire for about 45 minutes. So a quick Google search, which I know we didn't have Google in 1943, but like you had hired professionals, told me that it takes two to three hours for bones to burn to ash and it has to be an extremely hot fire, like hotter than what the fire was at the slaughterhouse. And even with cremation, like you still get bone fragments in cremation. Yeah. Like sometimes kind of like chunks of bone. So like either we miss something when we're like, you know, going through all these ashes or the children were not in the home when it caught fire. Right. So we can assume there are five skeletons in the basement of the solder home, you know, with the rest of the ashes. Mm Mm-hmm. To further complicate the, like, burned to ashes, cremated story, um, I read that the mom reported finding several of the home's appliances intact in the rubble. Like, could easily tell, like, that's a toaster oven. Oh, yeah. That's my stove. If it's it's hot enough that it would burn bone, then... It's going to melt all that. Exactly. Exactly. So... Basically, the way their house was built, because it was that timber, that's why Mm -hmm. it burnt hot, but it burnt quick. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, the two began their own investigation into the fire and into the disappearance, like, that's what we would call it now, right? Mm -hmm. Of their five kids. Mm -hmm. We don't know where they're at. One oddity that they ran across came when they spoke to a bus driver... So I'm assuming that these people live fairly close to, like, a road that is traveled frequently. Mm -hmm. Because they talked to a bus driver who stated that he had seen what he called fireballs being thrown on the roof of the slaughterhouse and not their home burned to the ground. What are fireballs? So I read that basically it was kind of like, they called it like a pineapple bomb or something i think is what it was like almost like a homemade grenade that they would throw up there and it's like on fire right and it just like catches your house on fire or whatever they're throwing it at on fire and they like found evidence of that like the containers that would look like they would house that like in the rubble is what i read in one article so like Mm. could that quote-unquote fireball had been like what Jeannie heard the night that yeah hitting the roof and rolling down yeah like I think that makes sense I do too to add to their growing concern those missing ladders right air quotes Mm -hmm. missing Mm -hmm. were found over an embankment close to the family home and when I say close to the family home that's what i mean literally 75 feet away from the home like over a little embankment and like none of the family moved them there okay yeah then this was definitely yeah it's planned definitely yeah yeah Mm -hmm. a telephone repairman told the family that the house's phone line had not been burned through in the fire as they initially thought but rather had been cut by someone who was willing and able to climb the 14 foot pole and reach two foot away from the pole to be able to cut the line okay between the ladders the evidence of the fire fireball and this like please tell me that they have since ruled that this is foul play, that this was not an accident. So we have some further investigations, like official ones that take place, but like, you're not going to like what they say either. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. That's what I say to that. Yeah. Pooey. Yeah. A man whose neighbors had been stealing, like, block and tackle. I have no idea what that is. What is block and tackle? Is that, like, fishing things? I am going to assume so. Like, that's what I think of. I have no idea. Tackle, I think of fish. Right. Block, I don't know. 
Yeah, so apparently he'd been stealing that from the property, like, around the time of the fire. Um, he was identified and arrested, and, like, he admitted that he was stealing things from their property um, and claimed that he was the one who cut the phone line, thinking that it was a power line, but denied having anything to do with the fire. Um, block and Tackle Maggie oh. is a system of, t- this is Wikipedia's words, is a system of two or more pulleys with a rope or cable threaded between them, usually used to lift heavy loads. So it's so like a big not to do with fishing. No, nothing to do with fishing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no trouts being lifted there. Um, okay. Yeah, it's like a big hoist. So I guess oh, then hilarious. that makes sense, though, that if he's if those things have been stolen, right? Hmm. Like, no, it it doesn't really make sense. I don't know what he'd be lifting. <laughs> Just kidding. No, <laughs> we don't somebody, know. Unless he's lifting somebody right, to a height just, to cut the line. Or just stealing them because he's going to use them, like, at, with his job. Mm. Mm. But, like, why, even if you're stealing from someone, why would you cut utility lines? Yeah, like, I don't know. It, that that why like they're they're asleep it's 1 30 in the morning just like do your business and go i want to know who this woman was with the maniacal laughter yeah we don't ever find out oh no no idea another puzzling fact that the solders wanted answers for was like the trucks right like why were they operating perfectly the day before and mm-hmm. that night wouldn't even start yes so obviously some say that the man who was stealing from the property obviously tampered with the trucks but again like why i feel like when you're stealing from someone like in his case you have a specific thing in mind you want so like why yeah some say like it was premeditated perhaps the culprit that set the fire tampered with the trucks beforehand like knowing that they could be used to help rescue people or to get away or whatever But there are still some who play devil's advocate and say that, like, in a panic, the father and the son, like, flooded the engines when trying to start the trucks. Mm. And that's why they wouldn't start. Which could could be be. true. Because, listen, before we had a fuel-injected boat, and I used to have to (laughs) prime that engine, I flooded it every time on the boat ramp because I'd get nervous. And I, yeah, it's bad. I've never had to do that, but... Yep, no. <laughs> Bad, memories. Another time. Bad memories. <laughs> now the Sauter family began to remember like other strange occurrences that had taken place like prior to the fires. A week before the fire, um, the Sauters began receiving or like recalling strange instances. Like in an article I read from Penn State, there was apparently a stranger who appeared at the home. Um like in the fall of that year asking like hey do you have any jobs like uh-huh. i need work and george is like sorry we're not hiring right now i'm really sorry to which the man says points to fuse boxes on their house and says quote this is going to cause a fire someday end quote hmm. that's like so random to me yeah and like george had just had all their wiring checked by the local power company and they said it was fine (laughs) so george is just like okay if this dude's like crazy and Uh, just yeah chalked it up to being weird clairvoyant yeah seeing the future and like so at first i thought like that's really random for somebody to point out but then like i thought about like like somebody like Rodney who has a vast knowledge of lots of random things. Mm-hmm. Like I could see Rodney coming over to somebody's house and like, you're just having a random conversation and he's, he'd be like, Hey, you really probably need to get your like fuse box checked. That looks kind of iffy right. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You really you need to get your, that. like you really uh, me, need to get I'm your oblivious. tackle thing checked. I'm yeah. oblivious to everything. So yeah, don't expect so me to notice. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even know what that, what, I don't even know what it, the tackle thing he was. What, Lock like, and the, tackle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the more I thought about it, like, I guess if it was the right person, then maybe the comment wouldn't be so offhand. So around that same time, another man 
tried to sell the family life insurance and got super mad when George declined. And like, that's one thing I hate about living in a subdivision is people knock on my door all the freaking time trying to sell me stuff. Mm. And one day, this is a little... This little rant for Maggie. One day, these people wanting to clean out our gutters. Um, sir, we can do that ourselves. Thank you, right. though. Left a paper, like, wedged into, like, the glass screen door. Like, in between the glass yeah. screen door and, like, our front door. Like, right where our ring is. So, all dang day, my ring kept, like, the alarm on my phone kept going off. Oh. There's motion at your front door. There's motion at your front oh, door. Oh, no. So even on if, purpose. Oh, I'm sure. And even if we couldn't reach the gutters, they would not have got our business because that drove nice. me crazy that day. <laughs> so in that Penn State article, um, the man is quoted to have said to George when he's like, nah, we don't want your life insurance. Your GD, except he said it, house is going to go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You are going to pay for the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini, end quote. Okay, so this tells me the political discussions have turned personal. Yeah, and a lot of people think that. Like, I read that he got in heated arguments with many members of the Italian community in his town, and at the time, like, like, to the point he was receiving death threats. Like, not just, oh. like, you're arguing, but, like, he's receiving threat, like, serious threats. And he's just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, not taking any of these men seriously. Oh. Yeah. One of the older children recalled in that same Penn State article, quote, just before Christmas, they noticed a man parked along US-21 intentionally watching the younger kids as they came home for school from school, end quote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't so, like that. Yeah, to me, that makes it sound like Stalkers. this guy's like, yeah, trying to figure out their like home schedule, like what time everybody gets home. Like he's trying to kidnap these kids. That's what I, that's how Ooh. I took that. And then if you're going down that route, is he kidnapping them? Like, is he part of like some Italian mob or something? And he's kidnapping them to get back at George for all of these Mussolini comments. But, you know, if somebody did want to kidnap kids, that fire is the perfect cover-up. Because then the assumption is going to be that they died in the fire and nobody's really going to come looking for them. Right. And you're just going to make conclusions like the fire chief did that everything got so hot that they just burned completely up. up. Yeah. Yeah. And Allison, there are other possible sightings of these children. Um, I read that one person who was like familiar with the family said that they clearly saw five children go into a strange car while the fire was blazing. And that the car even stopped for a second to let the children peer out at the burning home. See, I don't know if I believe that because I feel like these kids are so young. They would have seen their siblings and parents standing outside. Right, but I read that maybe the kids were just, like, maybe understood the severity of the situation that they were in and their parents were in and just didn't say anything to protect their parents. Mm. Again, at a diner about 50 miles west of Fayetteville, a waitress would later say that she served breakfast to the five children on Christmas morning. Like she says, I swear it's these kids, but I don't remember how many adults were with them or what they looked like. But she knows for sure she saw the five kids. Hmm. And she also remembers, which I think this is like so specific, like I almost feel like it has to be true, Mm -hmm. that there was a car with a Florida license plate in the parking lot. And like she said, that was just really peculiar, like that wouldn't normally be there. Right. You're in West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. You're really far from home Mm -hmm. if you're in West Virginia from Florida. Yeah. So I read that Jeannie and George like go back to the police with their new findings and they're like, hey, can this case be reopened? Like we feel like there's sufficient evidence to say that maybe our children were kidnapped instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, perishing in the fire. But the Mm -hmm. police deny the request and like this case is closed. It's solved. (gasps) But it's not. And I read that 
1947, George would make an appeal directly to J. Edgar Hoover, so like the FBI. Big guns, yeah. Yeah, the top dog, to get the FBI involved. And he actually received a personal reply back from Hoover, like personally wrote him back. And he said in that note back to George, quote, Although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not within, come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau, end quote. Mm. And like he went on to say, like, FBI agents would be happy to assist the local authorities, um, like if we get the go ahead from them. But the police department and the fire department both said, like, we don't need you. Again, I don't understand why a small local fire or police department wouldn't accept help from a bigger... That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I feel like if it were me, I'd be like, yes, please, FBI, come help yeah. me solve this case. Yes. Yeah. And then you're still going to get props because people are going to be like, you had the wherewithal to contact somebody bigger so you'd have more resources. Yeah, exactly. Well, the Sauter family, they are still not giving up, and they hire a private investigator with the last name Tinsley, who discovered that the insurance salesman who had threatened George was also a member of the coroner's jury that deemed the fire accidental. Oh, that's not a good connection. He also heard a curious story from a minister that Sheriff, Sheriff, Sheriff Morris like regarding him that uh-huh. although he claimed no remains were found, he supposedly confided to this minister that he discovered a quote unquote heart in the ashes and hid it inside a box and buried it at the scene of the crime. What? Like very snow white and the seven dwarfs right here. Yeah. <laughs> like that's crazy to me. So this private investigator ran with this theory and actually talked to Sheriff Morris, not Sheriff, Chief Morris. I think I said that in the last yeah, one too. Yeah. Uh, it was Chief, oh. not Sheriff, if I said that. Um, to show them the spot where like this heart supposedly was buried and they dug up this box. Okay. And took it to the local funeral director who, this is literally out of the article, poked and prodded the heart and concluded that it was a beef liver, which had been untouched by the fire. Oh, so, my goodness. <laughs> so, again, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs with the Huntsman and the heart of the whatever he put in that box. Like, this oh, is. My goodness. Like, like, I don't understand why. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I I found an arm over here. Oh. Yeah. Nope. Just kidding. JK. It's, it's a I don't I don't even know. Beef it's a liver. carrot. Yeah, it's a yeah. carrot. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I have no idea. And soon after, the Sauter family would hear rumors that the fire chief had told others that the contents of the box hadn't been found at the fire at all. That he'd, like, buried the liver there in hopes that finding the remains would, like, shut the family up, basically. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, here's some remains. Our children have to be here. Let's quit pushing this investigation further. But he didn't show them the remains. He buried them. None of this fire chief is making sense. In a box. Yeah, none of that is making sense to me. Because, like, I feel like if I found a box in the ashes of a burned-down home, I wouldn't say, let's open this up to see if the remains of my children are inside this Yeah, box. and then be like, oh, just kidding. It's only beef liver in here. And over the next few years, the tips and leads continued to come in, and George, um, like, followed up on all of them he saw a newspaper photo of school children in new york city and was convinced that one was his daughter betty he literally drove to manhattan to search for this child like drove there found the family but the parents refused to speak to him which i think is strange well i mean i I get their point too because like that's kind of kooky but i guess somebody showed up at my house and they were like your sleuth hound is my missing child. I'd be like, mm, go away. You're not talking to her. Yeah. Like I literally pushed her out. Go away. Yeah. 
1949, the Sauters decided to mount a new search at the fire scene, and this time they brought in, like, specialists from Washington, D.C., this Hmm. pathologist named Oscar Hunter. And this investigation and evacuation was thorough. Um, They uncovered several small objects, damaged coins, um, like partly burned dictionaries, and actual several shards of vertebrae. Hmm. And Hunter sent those bones to the Smithsonian Institute, and they released the following report. So this comes directly from their report. Okay. The human bones consisted of four lumbar vertebrae belonging to the same individual. Since the transverse recesses are fused, the age of this individual at death should have been 16 to 17 years. The top limit of age should be 22 since the centra, which normally fused at 23, was still unfused. On this basis, the bones show greater skeletal maturation than one would expect for a 14-year-old boy, the oldest missing solder child. It is, however, possible, although not probable, that a boy 14 and a half years old to show 16 to 17 maturation. So, the vertebrae that they found doesn't quite fit with the age of the oldest child yeah so they're saying like it's possible that he could be like you know a little further developed but Mm -hmm. not probable Mm -hmm. and they go on to say the vertebrae showed no evidence that they had been exposed to fire oh that's super weird Yeah, the report said, quote, it's very strange that no other bones were found in the allegedly careful excavation of the basement of this house, end quote. So they only found the bones for one person. Yeah. And it's not exposed to fire. Yes. And noting that the house reportedly burned for only about a half hour or so, the report said, quote, one would expect to find full skeletons of five children rather than only four vertebrae, end quote. But my question yeah. is this, if it's not one of their children, whose bones are they? So apparently George, Co- which again, again, that question isn't answered and this really doesn't help, you know, put that question to ease. But apparently mm-hmm. George had um, like covered over the basement and they kind of like made it like a garden memorial thing for their five kids. Mm-hmm. And so the hat report says that the bones most likely came in the supply of dirt George used to fill the basement to create the memorial for his children. Oh, so this person was killed <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah, which okay. does absolutely just again yeah. does absolutely nothing. Yeah. Watch out when you're planting <laughs> those flowers. I mean, yeah. golly. Um, but this new investigation and its findings attracted national attention, which was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the West Virginia legislature held two hearings on the case in, in the 50s, um, but the governor and state police superintendent both told the family that the case was literally, quote, unquote, hopeless. Mm. And then closed it again at the state level. The FBI decided it had jurisdiction as a possible, like, interstate kidnapping, but dropped the case only two years like after taking it over following like fruitless leads so they're like we can't find anything so case closed yeah so we're out too um it appeared that everybody was giving up on the solder children but their parents so they passed out flyers they bought a billboard offered rewards all in the hopes that someone would lead them to their kids and their efforts weren't in vain several tips did come in and like i said george followed up on every single tip in Mm. 1968 more than 20 years after the fire they would get a piece of mail and that mail was like an envelope addressed to the mom and it was postmarked in Kentucky. So, so super close to West Virginia. Yeah. If you don't know like American geography, West Virginia and Kentucky share a border, Mm -hmm. Um, but it had no return address. But weirdly inside was a photo of a man in his mid twenties. And on the flip side of that was a really strange handwritten note that read Lewis Sauter. Which is one of their kids. Which was one of their kids. And then, this doesn't make sense to me, but it said, I love brother Frankie. And then, like, had some numbers after it. 
And so, like, mom and dad cannot deny the resemblance to their son, who was nine at the time of the fire. So, like, beyond the obvious similarities, right? All these kids are Italian. They have dark curly hair. They have dark brown eyes. They have the same straight, strong nose, like the same upward tilt of, like, the left eyebrow. And so Mm -hmm. they're like, this is our kid. This is him. And so they hire another private detective, and I did not read this detective's name anywhere, and sent him to Kentucky to find where this letter came from. They, like, Mm -hmm. pay him. They're like, see you and, like, keep contact. Good luck tracking down who wrote this letter. Never hear from him again, ever. Oh, man. Which I think is just, like, the lowest of the low. Yeah. After everything they've been through already. Right. Yes. And the surviving Sauter children joined by actually their own children. So, like, the grandchildren of George continued to publicize the case and investigate any leads that came in. They, along with older Fayetteville residents, have theorized that it was, like, the Sicilian Mafia that was trying to get money from George. They took the children, you know, and they planned this arson so they could like get them safely out of the house which i think was weird Mm -hmm. um another theory that circulated was that perhaps these children were possibly taken back to italy by the sicilian mafia um but again i find that kind of hard to believe right yeah because like to me if the children were taken and like i think they were taken but if they were taken and kept alive like wouldn't they know they had a family right oh yeah and like wouldn't they try to get back to their family especially like i mean i'm sure they eventually would have gotten jobs or like Mm -hmm. you know whatever so when they're kind of free of the watchful eye of whoever possibly kidnapped them would they not try to get back to their people i mean that's what i would think I mean, then again, maybe they stayed away because they knew that they would endanger their families if they went back, maybe. Gosh, this is... Hmm. I know, it's a strange one. And Sylvia Sauter, so the youngest family member, um, she actually died in early 2021, so not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And she was, you know, in the house and out of the fire. And she recalls her earliest memory of the fire. And this quote, she said to the Gazette Mail in 2013, quote, I was the last one of the kids to leave home. I experienced their grief, meaning her mother and father, for a long time, end quote. She believed her siblings survived that night and assisted with efforts to find them and publicize their case. Her daughter said in a 2006 interview, quote, she promised my grandparents she wouldn't let the story die, that she would continue to do everything she could, end quote. Mm. And yeah, like, this, is, this is a tough one because I'm with you. I, I'm not convinced that they perished in the fire because I feel no. like there would have been some sort of evidence there. I do think that the fire was purposefully set with yes. the ladders moved and the the vehicles not starting. Now, mm-hmm. you know, we were questioning like the vehicles not starting and in my head I was thinking that doesn't really fit to me with the fire because mm-hmm. like obviously even if you can't escape by driving away, you could still run away as long as you get out mm-hmm. unless somebody did take the children and perhaps they did something to the vehicle so the vehicles wouldn't start so that George couldn't hop in his vehicle to chase after them. Right. Like to me, I think that they were taken from their living room, like before they even went up to bed. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think that's why the lights were on and the curtains were closed. Like, I think the brother that was asleep on the couch was already asleep and that's when the others were kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Now, how that happened quietly, I don't know. And right. if there's a link with the phone call, I don't know. Right, like maybe that was like a signal, like, yeah, they're all asleep. Could be. I don't know. I don't know either. Like, 
Or like, oh, maybe a warning to the family, like, hey, somebody has your kids. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it's creepy. Right. Logic is such a weird idea if you really think about it. For example, I know when I unplug my curling iron, but I always second guess myself. I cannot tell you the amount of times Anthony and I have had to turn back on road trips to double check everything is unplugged. The last time I physically saw that nothing was in the surge protector, but I still had to unplug the surge protector. Why? Was it logical? Probably not, but sometimes our brains don't like the logical response. And sometimes the logical response isn't really logical at all. We want to say that logically the missing solder children died in that fire. At least that gives us some closure. But so much plays into the conclusion that makes that illogical. So many factors make us question if dying in the house fire really was a logical explanation. Jeannie and George did all they could to discover the fates of their children. For decades, anyone traveling down Route 16 near Fayetteville, West Virginia, could see a billboard wearing the grainy pictures of five children, the Sauter children. All the children had dark hair and solemn eyes, all of them presumed dead. Their names and ages are as follows. Maurice, 14, Martha, 12, Louise, 9, Jeannie, 8, Betty, 5. Those five solemn faces have haunted a family in a town for decades. It's our hope that with your help, Sleuth Hounds, we can find out the true fates of the Sauter children. Again, please like and join us on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and to see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so that more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next week. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.